Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And before we jump into the show, I want to wish all of the Steeler moms and all the moms in general a happy Mother's Day. I want to send a special shout-out to my mom, Jacqueline Williams. also want to send a special shout-out to my wife, Linda Williams, and to all of the incredible women who have had a hand in making me the man that I am. So happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. And absolutely happy Mother's Day to any woman who's had to be around Lance for longer than five minutes, as well as the women in my life who have made me who I am. I can uh, primarily thank my mom for my interest in football, uh, my dad for the Steelers, my mom generally in, in uh, the sport itself. And love you, mom. I have absolutely no confidence at all that you're watching this, but if I send you the link, I'm sure you'll figure out how to turn it on. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to my you. wife as well. I, I hope that everybody uh, is able to have a great Mother's Day, uh, despite the terrible weather here in Pittsburgh. Um, we hope it's a good one. Let me ask you, Neil, is your what side is your family is from, from West uh, Western Pennsylvania? Both. Both. Oh, mom okay. and dad's side. Uh, my, my mom grew up in, in Crafton. My dad's from the north side. Okay. Oh, your dad's a north sider like yep. me, so he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um so you got it honest, just like me. Both sides of my family are, are, are from the same neighborhood, from, from Manchester, from 15233. Quick story before we jump into the show, and it goes with the theme of Mother's Day. Uh, years ago, I went to the AFC Championship when I saw Tom Brady absolutely decimate and carve up the Steelers. It was absolutely the worst. It was butt cold, and he absolutely carved up the Steelers. So while he's carving up the Steelers, there are – four women sitting behind me calling out defensive alignments, coverages, and where Tom Brady is going to go with the ball, and they're shaking their head, knowing it's going to be a completion before every snap. They're like, oh, man, the Steelers are in cover two, cover four. Oh, he's going to be wide open right here. Oh, you can see Brady looking him off. <laughs> and they're just diagnosing the whole game. And that's what it is in Pittsburgh. That's what it is. And, and shout out to all the mothers. They look like they were grizzled football veterans. So big up to all the mothers out there. My mom got me interested in football along with my aunts. They were hardcore Steeler fans. And that's just how it is. So big up to all the moms out there. On this particular show this week, we're going to keep the show pretty topical around the draft. And we talked a lot about the draft. But before we go into that You wanted to talk about the Steelers' fifth-round pick last week because we did not get a chance to talk about him. So, so Neil, briefly, give us your comments about the Steelers' draft pick last week, one of your favorite selections, because we didn't get the chance to talk about him. Uh, If we're talking about Buddy Johnson, I assume that we are. The the rangy, athletic, probably undersized linebacker out of Texas A&M. I'll I'll say this. If you if you love football at, at its purest level, if you love just the simple act of blocking and tackling and figuring it out from there, you'll you're gonna love this guy on the field. You can tell he lives, eats, and breathes football. Uh, he's he's aggressive. He's he is athletic. He's small. He's a gap shooter kind of guy. More of a modern linebacker. I I talked on a radio spot this week. Uh, for whatever reason, the host had brought up Larry Foot as an example. It's like, all right, Larry Foot, yes, but if he's athletic and and a little bit bigger than than Larry Foot, Larry Foot was five ten, two forty, or something like that. Uh, but he's probably six foot two twenty somewhere in there. 
that's more of what the modern linebacker, modern inside linebacker, middle linebacker is going to look like nowadays. Uh, he has the athleticism to get out on the field, uh, probably on special teams right away. But I, I legitimately see him as a, a year two starter. Uh, he's smart. He can pick up the game quickly. Um, and for where the team is going positionally, you're looking at next year an expensive RFA tag for um, uh, Robert Spillane. You're not going to have Vince Williams back. Uh, that said, Buddy being the, the position that he's in, he's probably a starter. I, I could see them needing to do that. And when we say starter with linebackers nowadays, you have to factor in sub-package football as well. Right. Um, I would see him more of a, a um, more of a lighter package type of guy, being that he, he's got range, he's got athleticism, he can work on, on coverage skills, things like that, and still be able to defend the run. I think he can get on the field in those type of, of uh, personnel groupings more than anything else. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to play immediately. Um, probably not a whole lot. I think he's going to serve as a backup uh, one place or another. And, and if he needs to look to, to make a position change next year, but by and large, you're looking at a, a left or a right inside linebacker that um, it is going to be primarily a special teams player right away and look to start uh, in, in year two, maybe year three. But if that's your time frame for a fifth round draft pick, and there's a lot of, of stuff that Lance and I are going to cover uh, when we go over past Steelers draft classes here, when you're looking at a fifth round pick, uh, for the Steelers in particular, uh, he was a sixth, actually, not even a fifth. You, you look at the fifth and sixth round guys, if you can get a guy that could potentially start for you in a year or two, that's a great pick. You know, it, right, it, right. you you, you got to fill 11 positions on the field. They're not all pros. They're not all first rounders. Even the Steelers defense last year that was like seven guys were taken in the first round. You don't get that combination of, of skill very often. You've got to find guys later in the draft that can step in and play for you. And in Steelers championship teams are marked by that. If you look at all of them, they have fourth, fifth, sixth round guys dotted all over offense and defense. You have to have depth. You have to have uh, successful contributions coming from all areas of player acquisition. That's the draft. That's uh, regular free agency, compensatory free agency, undrafted free agency. Bringing in players that, that can fit what you're trying to do from all over is the key combination of, of uh, factors, in my opinion, for a, a championship-level team. I, I think Buddy Johnson looks to me like the type of guy that can fit into that sort of a mold uh, down the line a little bit for the Steelers. I think it was a great pick. And, and sorry about that. I, I thought he was the fifth-round pick. But thinking about it now and, and talking about what we were talking about, the Steelers and their fifth-round picks, it makes more sense that he's the sixth-round pick because we talked about it last week on the yeah. show how the fifth-round pick is sort of a, you know, let Tomlin's grandson or his son make the pick. And we'll see what happens with the pick. But the topic of this show is how to grade a draft or more specifically how to grade a Steelers draft. And so me and Neil have had an exercise over the course of the week um, because I think we think it's topical right now to, to grade some Steeler drafts. And so we came up with three criteria in which to grade a draft. But before we do that, I want to get your thoughts, Neil. I think we said that the time frame before you can grade a draft, and before we jump in the show, you can find a show on YouTube, do a search for Lance Williams, The New Standard, or Lance Williams, Neil Kulong, and the show is available on all podcast platforms. Do a search for Steelers, The New Standard, or The New Standard, and any combination of our names. So it's on all platforms. You'll be able to find the show, and thank you for everybody who subscribed to the show. The show is growing. Thank you, everybody, that gives comments. So like and subscribe. So we can continue to grow at a rapid rate. We figured that it's only fair 
to draft or excuse me, to evaluate a draft after three years. Now, the reason I thought that was that would be the first time in which you could give your first round pick an, an option or, or, or an extension of some sort would be after three years. So in some way, the NFL has said that three years is the proper time in which a club should make the uh, investment financially or extend the investment financially for a player. So that's kind of how, you know, I, I determined three year three years was the best, not so much from a player performance standpoint, because I mean, hell, Dan Marino was so good after the first year, you could have extended him right mm -hmm. after that and gave him a 20 year contract. So my thought was more financial in terms of the three years before you evaluate a player um, or evaluate a draft class. What's your thought on the three years and us using the three years? And why did you come to that conclusion? I think three years is ample time. And I, I would even look at it like this. You have a good combination of, let, let's assume that the hope obviously is three training camps and three completed seasons. With that, there's enough time and enough development that you should have a pretty good look at a player. And if you look at the level they just came from, in, in a college perspective, they're going into their fourth year, their senior year in some cases, usually their redshirt junior year. They've had enough time in the program to really understand what's going on. Now they're in a position to be kind of leaders on the team. It, at the pro level, it, it's not so much of a leadership thing. It's not so much of a, a, a huge growth curve physically, which is usually what happens between uh, ages 18 and 21. Uh, to a, a a football player, it's it's professional maturation. It's having the off seasons. It's having the training camp, the repeated coaching, three years in an NFL strength program. You're going to get a good sense of who the player is by that point. There there are exceptions to everything, but by and large, uh, even rookies are not legit superstars after one year, and they're not going to improve a whole lot by year five you know they, they can continue to grow but you would have had a sense that they are on a good trajectory they're not going to get uh, a whole lot more opportunity after that three-year mark so you you need to have uh, put down your best by that point or given people ample reason to think that you're going to continue uh growing now i say that and i'm sure somebody out there is going to point out a player like eric flowers who hasn't improved a lick in his entire time in the nfl there's a world of difference between average Joe NFL player and six foot six, 340 pound athlete, Eric Flowers. Flowers is going to get a job in the NFL as an offensive tackle un until he can't walk. That's just the way it works. There are not right. very many, very large athletic human beings. And he happens to be one of them. And he's got training. He's got experience. They're going to keep him around. Alejandro Villanueva signed a, a, a two year, $14 million contract with $8 million guaranteed after coming off his absolute without question, worst season. And that's because yep. he's really big and he's really experienced. And that's so, an excellent thing for the Steelers. Yes, I, I feel it probably is as well. I don't yes. think Baltimore wants to be in the position that they're in, <laughs> yes. but Orlando yes. Brown didn't want to play there. So this, yes. you know, all things considered, they did a pretty good job with it. The the, the point of the story is that you, you can't expect continued athletic development uh, for, for a long period of time. I think three years is a good sample. Plus, you've probably had at, at least one – uh, coaching change if you're an average NFL player some right, coach right. A coordinator position coach head coach one of them has changed out in the time you've been right. there you've been around the league you've seen everything you've probably experienced an injury you understand how things work so three years I think is a good point to say 
if, if this player panned out in the way we thought he would, if he panned out better, if he panned out worse, uh, where is he now relative to where he was drafted? What had to happen for him to get there? You have answers to all of that. Today, we don't. We really don't. I understand, right. you know, Pratt Fryermuth is is going to be the, the biggest player hero I've ever heard in Pittsburgh. Maybe we don't know enough right now. We, we really don't. So it, it's it's – it's a lesson in understanding the players relative to the rest of the draft class. If you want to compare, if you want to give them a grade today on what the team drafted, the player himself is really going to mature over the next two, probably three seasons. Three years is probably the right mark in, in my mind to draw that line. Baby Heath. Maybe he'll be baby Heath <laughs> instead of baby Gronk. In baby a way, Heath. I'm more offended by that. Hey, you know what? I'll I'll say this. Lance, I'm going to say this just because I've ripped the guy and gotten absolutely shredded for it in every walk of my existence. I I want the kid to succeed. I'm not against him. I'm just saying I I will admit he played hurt last year, or at the very least he opted for surgery on something that doesn't seem to be defined anywhere. I don't know what he had surgery on. If he played last year hurt, okay, that explains something. But the overpraise that he's received based on his tape last year to me is is laughable. You you really you're not seeing the things that you claim that you're seeing. What you see is the typical nonsense rhetoric of he's the second best tight end in the draft. Well, it, it to me that really doesn't matter because he's nowhere close to the first tight right, end, right, right, right. and the other ones aren't all that great either. So what what does that mean? He's the second. He's the best of an average group. Uh, at best uh, position for this year's draft class. doesn't make a difference if he was the, the second best or the sixth best. The sixth best player at a very deep position in the draft can be a very good pro. So right, it, it's right. point being that the jury is going to be out on him for a while. I it, There's a lot that he's going to have to do in, in mini camp and training camp to really step in and be the player that people think he's going to be. That's all I'll say. Before we jump into the three criteria that we came up with to, to uh, evaluate a draft class, let me ask you real quick, quick follow up on that. The question about the three years, do you have a set in stone um, philosophical um, reasoning around the extension? So uh, are you set in stone if a player shows that they, after the third year, they should get an extension or are you a, you know, uh, give them the fifth year option, wait, or would you like what would be your philosophy around that? Or would it just be based on the player, whether you would be willing to extend a player after year three? By and large, I'll be honest. I think um, part of the successful management of a team, uh, especially if they're facing a fifth year option in which their, their price tag is going to go up dramatically. It would take quite a bit for me to, to ex- extend a player uh, at that point after three years. I don't know why a team would um, it, at that point. Teams are looking at using the franchise tag strategically, uh, perhaps not fairly so. And the Steelers, to be fair, are a team that hasn't really weaponized uh, the tag all that much. The only exception to me in my mind was was Bud Dupree. It was a player that they did not, uh, in, in good faith, feel that they were going to sign long-term. And you can't tell me that they thought that was going to happen. There's no way they were going to sign him long-term. Um he's the only one that they've tagged with that in mind. Every other player that they've tagged, they had full intention of negotiating a long-term deal, but not wanting him to, to go sign somewhere else in the meantime. Um, I understand where that comes from, why they would want to do that. But if you look at it from the, the context of a, a 50 year option, the idea is we've got one, che- after three seasons with a first round pick, we've got one 
cheap year left. Then we've got a transition tag, or I, I forget exactly how it's defined now, uh, a, a more expensive year for year two. It's transition tag. It's transition. Yeah, and then then the franchise tag, which is going to be pretty expensive. If you average out a three-year contract, which is really kind of what they have at that point, the number is very team-friendly. So Yes, extremely. When you have that in mind, I can understand why a team would not necessarily want uh, to, to think about negotiating another contract. They have another cheap year left. Now, if, if they want to go into the fourth year, which is, you know, the, the players do a lot more money, that to me makes more financial sense. And I understand a lot of people say blindly pay the players. It, it doesn't really work like that in a salary cap league. You've got to be able to, to get the most out of every dollar that you're spending. And in some cases, with the first round picks, it's artificial money. The, the The number of the transition tag and the franchise tag is only nominally market driven. By and large, it's really not. I say that because the transition tag and the franchise tag amounts are worked into the same formula. So if it's top five uh, players paid at a position, that includes players who are under the franchise tag. So you right. can't say that it's purely market driven. It's not. With that, it's artificial. Um, Bud Dupree's option year, I think, is a great example of that. Bud Dupree, market-wise, was, was probably not, not yes. worth the $9 million no, that he no, got paid for that all. year. Uh, based on what he had done for a one-year deal, I don't think he was worth that. But to keep him, that's what he cost. He right. would be able to negotiate elsewhere. Maybe he'd get it. I don't know. Maybe not, though. The point is the Steelers only had one option as far as what they were going to pay him. So that was it. Um, they're locked into that amount regardless, and the player is locked into that team regardless. So to me, a, a contract after the third year, I don't think is is really justified for arguably either side because if, if you're taking the third year into account, uh, your third year contract is where the negotiation begins. You know, it's not your fourth year because you have to get to the fourth year. If you want to talk about extension now, we don't want to pay much next year because we don't have to. Um, to me, right, that, right. that's I think that's a valid point uh, considering if the player is good. Take Minka Fitzpatrick, for example. Um, I, I think that's probably the best of what the Steelers are looking at now. Knowing that they're going to owe him $10 million uh, in 2022, they're not opening the doors for an extension in 21. And part of that is because he he's still cheap. He's got the one right, cheap year exactly. left. Yeah, yeah. And He'll from his perspective, year. I'm getting paid in the future. You know, I, I want you to pay me that now because I'm worth that now. I you know it's, it has nothing to do with the market of why I'm getting paid what I'm paying right now. It's just my contract. So I don't think either side really for for the for the best players in the league. I don't think either side is all that inclined. Uh, to to negotiate a legitimate deal because they're just going to be way too far apart one way or another. Right, right. So let's jump into uh, the topic of the show and how to grade a class. And I want to apologize for getting to the topic about 18 minutes in. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my fault. I, I will learn to to craft this and edit this and jump into this a lot earlier. But we see some more people jumping into the live chat. And if you're listening to the pod, well, you, you're, you're going to hit. I'll, I'll probably put some details on too you know, the timestamp of when you can kind of jump into the topical uh, features of the show where we're talking about. Um, so here are the three criteria in which we're going to use to to evaluate a draft class. So we're going to start with 2018 because we're going to do it three years. So we're going to do let me take a look here. I think we're going to do 2018, 2017, 2016, 15 and 14. We use the following three criteria. Number one. The draft class has to produce two to three starters. 
Number two, the first round pick option is picked up. And number three, picks lower than the first round, a pick or two lower than the first round, were offered a contract extension. Now, within the first criteria of the draft class has to produce two to three starters. We broke that into some subtopics as of an average starter, an above average starter, and an elite starter. And we defined an average starter as a player who on average plays around 500 snaps a year and is a top 50 player at the position. If so there's healthy. 30 if, if healthy. healthy. If healthy, yes. Um number two an above average starter plays on average 750 snaps a year and is pro bowl caliber. So, and let me put a name to each of those to kind of give a a framework of where we're thinking. My thought was an average starter is Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds. An above average starter, in my opinion, is Juju Smith-Schuster. An elite starter we, here's the criteria for an elite starter, but I'm just going to say an elite starter, T.J. Watt, plays 90% of the snaps on either side of the ball and becomes an all-pro. That's an elite starter. So I think T.J. Watt is an elite starter. Juju is an above-average starter, and Edmonds is an average starter. So looking at those categories, Neil, who would you place as average as an average starter? Just give me one name real quick. Um, you, you stole mine. I mean, I think Edmonds for, for the most part defines what an average starter is, but, um, if, if, if let's, let's stick with Edmonds and we'll say this because I think a lot of this list, and it took us a while to really kind of try to define this in a very simple way. The reality is you probably can't, there are exceptions yes, to everything. Difficult. And to me, that's exactly what proves this rule. Uh, Edmonds plays a ton of snaps. Edmonds doesn't leave the field. He hasn't left the field. They've kept him on the field. He's been very durable. Um, He doesn't make plays. He's nowhere close to a pro bowler. Nobody would confuse him as that. And he didn't get his option picked up. I would say this, though. If Minka Fitzpatrick is not on the team, I think they would have picked it up. I think what it comes down to is that Minka is a no-brainer at $10.6 Okay, keep that in mind. He's got the high end, all right? He's the T.J. Watt of of that draft class um, as far as what the Steelers want to put in their priority. Do you want to pay two safeties $17 million? Probably not. The the Steelers had a point in which um, they they had Ryan Clark and Troy Polamalu playing on extensions. But beyond that, you're not going to find many examples of two safeties playing on extensions in Pittsburgh. You just they, They don't value it that way. I don't think that Terrell Edmonds is a bad player. I think that Terrell Edmonds is a guy that they want to bring back. They don't want to set the floor at 6.7, is it, I think, for, for that mid-level yeah, it's around uh, fifth that. year. Call it 6.7 million. They don't want to set the floor at 6.0 million. And I'll tell you why. If you're not Minka Fitzpatrick, you don't get paid as a safety anymore. That's just the way it is. There are too many Derwin James. There are too many Minkas, too many guys that, that uh, Justin Simmons that are coming into the league and making a big impact on rookie contracts. Those are the ones that get paid. Okay. And they're coming from all over the draft. There, there are some obvious superstars, but there are a lot of good mid round safeties uh, floating around the NFL. And on top of that, there is a, a slew of veterans who don't get more than 2 million a year that stay in free agency until August. Um, when you look at Terrell Edmonds versus the market that's out there right now, 
it's hard to justify 6.7 million for him, especially when you're already going to have to pay Minka 10.6. And both of them are on one-year deals. So that that's a that's a big hit to take in one year. I think they legitimately want to work out an extension with Minka, but I think they want to work one out with Edmonds as well. It's just not at that valuation. That that's just too high yeah. for a one-year deal. They don't want to pay him that next year. So it, it makes sense for them to do what they do, but I, I think that he is a reasonable average NFL starter. I think that that's fair to to say uh, to this point in, the, in in his career. Let me give you some of the numbers of the safeties on the average per year in their contract. You got so you got Quandre Diggs at around the tag number of six point two. Then you got Jalen Mills from the Patriots at six. Eric Murray at six. Von Bell at six. Um, Jamal Adams, interestingly enough, is at five point five. That's right. That's for right now. The top end is what you said, Justin Simmons. And this is pretty high for a safety. It's at 15.2. Mm. And, and he so, just got paid. And he just got paid. And so I know for sure uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is looking at the tier of uh, Landon Collins, uh, Matthew, Kevin Byard, Eddie Jackson, Buda Baker, and Justin Simmons. He's looking at those particular players as to where he wants his deal to land. Because he's absolutely going to say he's better than Devin McCourty and his average is 11.5. He's already done enough to say that he is better than Devin McCourty. If, if he so, doesn't get Baker's contract or Simmons' contract, then, then his agent did him wrong. It's that simple. He, he's yeah, going he's, to get the highest safety contract in NFL history whenever he signs it. There, there's yeah, no way around that. He's looking at the top end. So those are the characteristics. So that's what we're looking at. Who, Real quick, though, just give me a name real fast. Above average starter, who would you say? Um, I'm paging through here, trying to, to pick out a name above average to me. They, I think that right now I would say Devin Bush. Um, I, okay. I think that's reasonable. Okay. I think he's going to become above that. I think he got part of his career cut off and he's only played 21 games. He's going to eventually be above that. I would have said the same thing about TJ Watt after two years. So right. okay. where he is right now, the arrows pointed up, but I, if, if now is his fourth year, I would call him an above average player. So okay, I think we both gonna agree with uh, with TJ as the elite starter. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, he's no doubt. I mean, he's a top ten player in the league. I mean, yeah, he's he's yeah, he's he's number one at the position. He he, you know, he's that guy. So let's jump into 2018 and let's grade the class. Here are the picks for 2018: Terrell Edmonds, James Washington, Mason Rudolph, Chucks Okorafor, Marcus Allen, Jalen Samuels, and Joshua Frazier. Now. Your grade, you graded that class with a C, Neil. Explain. I give that draft a C mostly because I think Edmonds is probably probably the best player there. And I don't know how good Edmonds is. I like James Washington a lot. I think uh, perhaps with more targets to go around, he could have done a little bit more. But he hasn't done much to this point in his career. A solid player reasonable player um rudolph what we've seen of rudolph isn't good he's not particularly good i don't think chuck's a core four is particularly good um marcus allen has changed positions i always saw him as kind of more of a special teams guy i don't think the jalen samuels experience experiment really produced much of anything um i don't think he's even on the team this year and the fact that he lasted this long is more 
lack of depth at, at the position that he's playing, whatever position they're going to have him play. Um, and I, I honestly didn't remember who Joshua Frazier was until I saw Alabama on this. Now I remember that they had a, a seventh round pick. He's <laughs> today's called. something called Josh Frazier guy. <laughs> uh, whatever, who cares? Throw away seventh round pick. I don't think this is a terrible class, but it's not a good one. Um, there's nothing outstanding about it. And maybe that's the best way to put it. This, this really is a group of Jags. These are just the guys. Um, it does fit the starting criteria that we talked about. This is another exception to all this. Terrell Edmonds is a starter. A core four is going to be a starter. Um, they gave Rudolph an extension for some reason. Um, I think Washington, I, it's not in Pittsburgh, but I think Washington's going to get an extension somewhere. He's going to stay in the league. So it, it's not bad, but it's not good. Uh, to me, it, it defines a C. This, it, it's a C draft, plain and simple. I agree with you. I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm changing my grade. I, I, I'm, I'm changing my grade to a C minus. And I think the reason I'm going with the C minus is because they did get two to three starters somewhat because Washington <laughs> isn't necessarily a starter. He, he, he's the third wide receiver typically when they go to 11 personnel. But when you look at it, they did not, this draft has not produced, according to our criteria, an above average starter or an elite starter. Exactly. And because of that, and you had seven mm-hmm. shots at it, it, it has to be in the C range. You look at Marcus Allen, Samuel, and Frazier, th- those are just guys, right? And, you know, Chuck's, you know, you look at top 50 at the position. I mean, I don't even know if he's top 50 at the position because I think there are teams that probably have reserves that are better than Chuck's a core for. So when you look at that class, to me, it's a C-minus class. Now let's jump to the 2017 class. The 2017 class, T.J. Watt, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cameron Sutton, James Conner, Josh Dobbs, Brian Allen, Colin Holba, and Keon Adams. One thing also I would like to say about the 2018 class is they didn't pick up the first round option and i don't think anyone um well we'll take that back uh one of the picks lower than the third than the first rounder did get a contract extension but i think that's more because there were no quarterbacks on the roster with mason rudolph i don't think that has anything to do with his play but looking at the 2017 draft let me say it again watt smith schuster sutton uh james connor josh dobbs brian allen Colin Holba and Keon Adams. Give me your grade for that class. Deal. To me, that, that's an A draft. And I think we're seeing that very much in the play. I mean, the first two picks, you've got a, an all-world player uh, coming from 30 overall, which is rare. You, you just simply don't see that. You Regular watchers of this, this show know that I'm not big on the chances of any player drafted in the back third of the first round. It's not because... They're terrible. It, it's just because they have as much risk as pretty much any second round pick does. You don't get elite players at that spot in the draft very often. TJ Watt is the shining example uh, of, of how that isn't correct. Um, he's above and beyond anything they possibly could have hoped. And frankly, anybody who said that he was going to be who he was and is not named TJ Watt is lying. Um, phenomenal player, probably the best value pick the team has had in the last 30 years. Um, Easily, Juju. We'll we'll get into the off the field stuff another time. I disagree with you, you slightly in terms of the best value pick that they've had in thirty years, and I'll tell you who I think it is. But go ahead. 
Go ahead with what? Why don't you go ahead? <laughs> no, no, like I, think, old... I think no, I think the best value pick that they've had in the last 30 years, everybody doesn't like him now, was probably Antonio, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, yeah. But, let but, me but, let me amend that. I meant for a first round pick. Uh yes, Watt, yes. Cam Hayward, these are guys drafted 30, 31 overall. To get players at that level that late. Uh, is is incredibly rare. You just you yes, don't see yes. that very often. Um, it, it, he's he's a, a fantastic pick, a fantastic player, and he's about to get paid more than all but maybe four quarterbacks <laughs> in the NFL. So yes, he um, is. The, the the value part of it is over. <laughs> very, let me very ask quickly. you one. Let me ask you one quick question about TJ before you you know continue to give your comments on 2017. You think his deal will approach? Um, why am I missed flubbing on his name? Outstanding defensive tackle from the Rams from the University of Pittsburgh. Aaron Donald. Will, will it will it be around the same as Aaron Donald? I think, think he'll get more than Aaron Donald. Wow. I think he plays a, a more valuable position. Um, the results speak for themselves. There are not too many players that finish runner-up in, in player of the year, uh, consecutive years, even though Donald wins them. He plays, and, and it, really it's more between Donald and Watt, whoever's contract is up is going to get paid more. You know, they're going to be the standard for each other. Um, they are going to be the highest paid defensive players. More than anything, I look at, at Joey Bosa's contract. If you look at his or what he got with the Chargers, it's otherworldly. Uh, the, the amount of guaranteed money that he got, what he got paid through the first three years, there's absolutely no reason TJ Watt should not be asking for that, plus at least 10%. Um, it, it's it's going to be a crippling contract for the Steelers. You're talking first-year cap hit of $20 million dollars. And it's going to go up even more from there. So um, there was, a, I have no idea whether, I'm not even going to say the name of, of what it was, some nothing account on Twitter that said uh, that Steelers and Watt were in extension talks for a deal that the, the average per year would have been $29 million over four years. Um, that does not surprise me. That That's the level of, uh, that's the ballpark of where he's going to have to be. Um, if he's negotiating against the market, which he absolutely should be, he's going to be up at that level. It's going to be bigger than anything Ben ever got. It's going to be twice as big as, as the second biggest defensive player contract the Steelers have ever got. And for a team that doesn't give out signing bonuses, <coughs> if you want TJ Watt on your team, um, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to have to give him probably 70, 80 million <coughs> in signing bonus alone, which is again, probably, 30% above whatever Ben got in terms of, of bonuses back in the day. So when you when you look at Joey Bosa's deal, <laughs> I think you're right on. Um his average per year is 27 million and he's at the top of the market of edge rushers. It's Joey Bosa, yep. then it's Miles Garrett, then it's Khalil Mack. Yep. And uh and Garrett and actually, came first right there. It was like, oh, that's yes. Watt's contract right there. You know, he's gonna need that. Then Watt had his second year. And a second big year, and then Bosa signed his. Bosa's done noticeably less than what Watt has done at this point. Joey Bosa isn't even the best Bosa. Nick Bosa is going to top them all by the time he comes due. But Watt, Watt's going to have a, a legitimate high-level quarterback contract, and the Steelers have no choice. Um, I, I've said from the beginning, there's no way they're going to pay him that in, in one lump sum. They're going to tag him first. So to me, I think he gets tagged next year, but he's already on the hook for $10 million this year. Um, with Bosa's contract as well as Garrett's and everybody else's, you're looking at a tag of of 19, 20 million. So that that's um, two years, 30 million right there for Watt. That's a starting point on the low end for for an extension for him today. And really, you take everything that that Bosa got and add to it because Watt is clearly the superior player. There, there's no way the Steelers can argue against that. 
and he's more durable. You look at um, Bosa's snap counts. He doesn't play a lot of football. He gets hurt a lot. No, yeah. Um, but I think this to, to keep the show moving, I'm just going to assume that you gave the 2017 class. I'm looking at what you gave him. You gave him an A. I gave him an A. Watt, obviously a superstar. Juju is a, a very good NFL receiver. We've said this before. He, he's not a great one, but he's a very good one. Uh, he's reliable. I think next year he, his market is going to be worth a lot more than $8 million in a, a pandemic cut uh, salary cap season. Um, he's he's worth what he's getting now. He's he's a high-level player, um, a good one, not a great one. Cam Sutton, I think his, his, he's an excellent example of, yes, it is possible for the Steelers to be able to develop a cornerback. It's just not an easy position to play. And Cam Sutton has shown in his career um, he, he can be – he can improve. He's taken on both roles. Uh, he came from you know the, the middle of the draft, uh, and, and he stuck it out and got himself an extension. There are not many cornerbacks who get extensions from the Steelers. There haven't been. Uh, certainly not recently. Uh, it, it's a testament to him that, and again, I, I have no idea what happened between the Steelers and Steven Nelson. I feel like there's a lot that, that both sides are holding back on that. But if Sutton is their choice, I can see why they would make that choice. Uh, he, he's going to be a good player. He already is a good player. Um, they're going to ask more of him, and he's going to step up to that. James Conner, for a, a, a for a, a compensatory third-round pick, a, a barely in the what uh, 105 overall, um, 2,300 yards, uh, overall, and he, made a, and he made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, twenty-two touchdowns. He's been a solid player. And what everyone's going to tell you up and down is that Connor would be a lot better if he ever stayed healthy. The reason he's not on the Steelers now is because he couldn't stay healthy. Unfortunately for him, but you know what? That's a damn nice NFL career. You're not going to cry about that coming from one hundred five overall. And then on top of that, and this is the weird one. Do you realize that Josh Dobbs completed his rookie contract? There yes. are not many fourth round picks that complete their rookie contracts because they go up in price quite a bit by the time they're they're in their fourth year. I thought he had been cut at some point. He never was. He played the Steelers traded him, got a fifth round pick for nothing from Jacksonville, signed him back, and they're bringing him back at least for camp again on a one year deal. Um, Dobbs is obviously seen as a, a, a valuable commodity to some degree. I don't think anybody would argue that that your team is in a better position if Dobbs is playing, but it, it, a backup quarterback does more than just be prepared for the starter to go down. They prepare the starter to play. They're instrumental on the sidelines, giving and, and receiving communication. They're instrumental in, in game preparation, film review, things like that. People obviously like Dobbs. Dobbs is going to play somewhere else next year. If he doesn't make the team this year, which I don't think he will, uh, he's, he's going to have an opportunity to play somewhere else. So, that's not a bad fourth round pick. You're not crying about that. Um, Brian Allen was that year's recipient of the really bizarre fifth round pick. Um, not really a, a high level pro guy, but he's still in the league because Something he's big called. and he's fast. Brian Allen is is a, a, a Pete Carroll dream in Seattle. I believe that's where he ended up for the most part. He's probably a special teams guy, but that that's the kind of guy that you see the Steelers taking in the fifth round. It didn't work out, but that's not terrible. Colin Holba, if nothing Long else, snapper. Colin Holba gave us a, a, a <laughs> slew of jokes to make since 2017. <laughs> the six-round pick, the only long snapper drafted in like four years. He doesn't even make the team, and he's still out there. I, I enjoy I, all due respect to Colin Holba. I, I enjoy making those jokes. That's fun. And Keon Adams wasn't a bad player, uh, probably more of a special teams guy, late roster guy, um, stuck around, still in the league. Um that that's a great draft, top to bottom. You're you're not you got at least 
at least decent value out of every spot that they drafted. And the biggest black eye in that is the long snapper who didn't make your team. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's yeah, that that that's hilarious. I'm going to needless to say, I'm not going to talk too long about it. But the, but the class is an A. I mean, you're looking at the criteria that we've established. It produced two to three starters. Um, actually, it produced four starters at any point in time. Cameron Sutton, Connor, Juju, and T.J. Watt have started. If Cameron Sutton would have started in, in you know, in, for injury, he would have started, but he played dime and nickel snaps as well. So he's going to be a starter next year. And he's going to be a starter and, next and a year. Third round pick. That's, yeah, that's what you right. look at. That's a starting player in my mind. So you, Plus, so you, got, you have to go three deep at cornerback anyway. You, right. There are 12 starters on a defensive field. You know, there just are. You have to count uh, yeah, for the Steelers. Corner. You have to count four linebackers and you have to count five defensive backs. That's the way they play. Uh, they'll, they'll mix them in and out. Um, that the nickelback is going to play a ton in Steelers defense, at least 700 snaps. And that that's what Sutton um, was in line to be. And they got rid of Nelson and he's going to be a, an every down player now. So, so absolutely. So the first rounder, you know, it's, it's TJ Watt. They'll, 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 they'll pick up any option or do whatever with TJ. I mean, it's just whatever makes financial sense for them. And he was an elite starter. Also, you look at the class, TJ's elite, Juju's above average. Cam Sutton was at least average and he got uh, an extension or a new contract. And James Conner, I believe when he was healthy, particularly the one year he made the Pro Bowl, was above average. So you're talking about you've got three above you got two above average guys in Juju and James Conner. You got an elite guy in TJ Watt and you got an average guy with Cam Sutton and he got a contract extension and all those way. guys, if you drafted that draft three years in a row, you're going to win multiple championships. Yes. And this is what this, and this is what I want to, this is what I want us to close with it and talk about it. And just the impact of sandwiching classes together, really good draft classes together and the impact that that has on your team. So let's jump to 2017. So we both give that class an A so, so far in our draft grades, I gave 18 to C minus. Neil gave it a C. We both gave 17 an A. And this is where I think it gets a little bit interesting is 2016. You look at the 2016 class. You've got Artie Burns. You've got Sean Davis. You've got Javon Hargrave, Gerald Hawkins, Travis Feeney, Demarcus Ayers, and Tyler Manikavich. And again, this draft class produced two to three starters. It's the first round pick. Does the, is the option picked up for the first rounder or picks lower than that first round where they offered a contract extension? So give me your grade for that class, Neil. Uh, 2016 to me was a D. Um, again, th this is what I had in mind when I pointed out that there are exceptions to every rule. Artie Burns was a starter. Sean Davis was a starter. Those aren't guys that you wanted to start, and that's why they both quickly got replaced. Um, it fairly early in their careers. Um, we'll see what happens with Burns. He tore his ACL in, in training camp with the Bears last year. Uh, for, for his sake, he, he's a good kid. I'm pulling for him. I hope he does well there. Um, I hope I, at least he's healthy enough to be able to compete and, and see where it goes. Davis was buried on, on the same team last year after getting cut, after signing a contract with Washington uh, in training camp last year. Those are not good NFL players. They are below replacement level um, those are your first two picks and they started, but they kind of had to, they were thrown in there because the team needed them to get better because they needed those positions addressed. They were put 
ahead of probably what their ability was, and they didn't rise to the challenge the way that that I would imagine uh, Mike Tomlin, Keith Butler hoped that they would. Didn't work out. Um, not good. Javon Hargrave is a good NFL player. I, I would call him an above-average starter. Uh, he got a nice contract with Philadelphia. Um, he's going into the second year of that. I think he'll do really well. Gerald Hawkins is probably the, the other guy that I would mention, along with Eric Flowers, as far as he is a very large athletic human being that is going to stay and work uh, for another five, six years, or at least until he can't walk. If he's healthy, Hawkins is going to get signed somewhere because there are not many guys that can do what he can do. Can he play? Doesn't seem like it. He's been in the league for a while with like five different teams. And he doesn't play anywhere. So and the Steelers signed him at some point last year. Um, aren't going to use him. I, I I don't know. I don't know what the long-term plan is with Gerald Hawkins, but going back to what we were talking about as far as three years, uh, you could see after three years with Gerald Hawkins, he's not going to be a, a, a solid NFL starter. He's not even going to be a starter. He's a deep reserve. Things are really bad if this guy has to come in and play, but we need to finish this with 11 guys on the field. So if Hawkins has to go in, it's already over, whatever, not a big deal. Um, I remember Travis Feeney was a pretty solid player um, in, in camp. I thought he looked pretty good. I think he got hurt. Um, Demarcus Ayers, who's, who's a really nice guy, incidentally, um, he got a look in, in New England. Uh, the Patriots really liked him. He was kind of a practice squad level guy. Um, I thought he got kind of a raw deal. I, I thought he could have been something in Pittsburgh. New England signed him, didn't work out. Pittsburgh wasn't taking him back. He seems kind of bitter about that. But uh, Ayers was a solid player. Could have been a return guy too. This is also, you know, Antonio Brown's, um, you know, kind of surfed him at that point. He's he's eating up 180 targets a year. It's kind of hard for the, the low-level uh, receivers to find a niche and, and stay with it. Tyler Matakiewicz is one of the better special teams players in the game. He got an extension from the Bills. The reason the Steelers didn't re-sign him is because the Steelers went after Derek Watt. They, they at, at the time, anyway, we were led to believe that they wanted to have uh, more of a fullback presence on the field. I don't know if we saw that all that much last year, but uh, Matakiewicz was, uh, he was paid whatever he was, and then the Steelers paid Watt a little bit more than that. I think they had their eyes on Watt uh, for for a couple different reasons um, over Medikavich. But you're not crying about Taylor Medikavich, Tyler Medikavich as a seventh round pick. That's pretty solid. Um, but that, Hargrave and Medikavich can't be the two best players you drafted and, and yes. expect that class <laughs> to be any good. Uh, it just isn't. Plain and simple. It's a, it's a bad class. Uh, it didn't pan out the way that they would have wanted it to. I mean, you look and see what they're trying to do with it, but it just it flat out didn't work. None of those guys, uh, short of Hargrave, materialized into anything that resembles above average. Um, it, 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 it draft spot agnostic. Medikavich isn't a good NFL player. He's a special teams guy. Things are bad if he has to play linebacker. Um, you don't want Artie Burns on the field. The Steelers didn't want Artie Burns on the field. <laughs> was it, it, it San Diego, Los Angeles, whichever one it was that year? I remember um, in the red zone, something happened to a cornerback, and Burns had to go out on the field. And Rivers looked at Burns, I swear to God, for like two full seconds, looked back at the line, made a call, and then it was Antonio Gates locked in on Artie Burns one-on-one, uh, touchdown pass to, to Gates. And Burns didn't. Burns didn't compete on the play at all. He just came in to give up a touchdown. He left the field. I don't think he played again the whole year. That that might have been the last play he ever had. But yeah, it, it's it was bad. Um, he, you know, I, I hate ripping guys at, at what seems to be a personal level. I'm not trying to to make him out to be a bad person or you know, it it didn't work for him. I certainly couldn't last in the NFL, so it, it's not for everybody. It didn't work out very well.
Kenneth McNair Jr., big up to you, who's been listening to us since 2011. And so he should know that sometimes, you know, I'll take a pessimistic view. You know, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Pittsburgh. Sometimes it's gray outside. I'm just going to blame Pittsburgh for sometimes crafting my naturally pessimistic view. So because I'm trying to be a little more optimistic, I'm going to give that draft class a D plus. <laughs> for a lot of the reasons that Neil stated, when you look at the class, it's just not a good class. And I think, you know, when your first round pick ends up being a guy that busts out and really has no value even outside of your building, you know, it it it's it it really downgrades the class. I mean, the only solid player that the class produced, in my opinion, or no, I should take that back. They, Hargrave and Manikavich were solid. Hargrave ended up being an above-average starter. But you only had one above-average starter on that team. And so I think because of that, it becomes a D. Um, it's not an F class because Hargrave was – they did produce Hargrave. He's no longer with the team. He did get a big contract from somebody else, the Eagles. And so that adds a little a, a little shine on the class. And Manikavich became serviceable but not a very good class. In fact, I think it's one of the worst classes um, in Mike Tomlin's tenure as a Steeler coach. And before we conclude the show, I'm going to ask Neil what he thinks his best class was. I think there's two classes that clearly stand out. Um, but but this was not the high point for Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin. This was a very forgettable class. So let's jump into 2015. Bud Dupree's the first rounder, Sinquez Golson, the second rounder, Sammy Coates, the third rounder, Doran Grant, Jesse James, Latarius Walton, Anthony Ciccolo, and Gerald Holliman. And you uh, gave the class a C plus. I give it a C plus mostly because I think Dupree um Dupree doesn't have a contract in Pittsburgh because TJ Watt is in Pittsburgh. Um if you can't beat out TJ Watt, well, you know, you must just suck. It's, I don't know what to say. Uh, Dupree is a good player. I think he's a player that they would have wanted to, to lock up long-term. It's just that wasn't going to work. It doesn't happen that way uh, all that often, but in this case it did for Bud. Uh, he, he's a good player, um, a reasonable player, somebody that they, they would have wanted to have back, and they proved that by tagging him uh, for an extremely high amount uh, to keep him for that one more season to try to make a run at a title. It didn't work. Um, he had the highest uh, uh, contract in free agency this year. The Steelers are getting that top comp pick because of Bud Dupree. That's a success, um, especially when you got him for six years. So definitely a, a, a very strong pick there. Um, I forget who it was on Twitter, but somebody made the comment that um, – they drafted Sanquez Golson dash if he even actually exists, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Golson, <laughs> Golson, I don't. Golson didn't make it more than three consecutive days in a training camp that he was ever a part of. Uh, a remarkable string of injuries for a guy. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, was was he had a pretty big spotlight on him coming out anyway. I mean, fans were not real excited about that pick. Um, he didn't even he didn't even play in a preseason game. I don't think he did um, not. Ne and, and needless to say. And, and we don't like bashing guys. He 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 is one of the worst draft picks in Steeler history. Yeah, you really can't say it any it's better just, than that. I mean, yeah, it's just it's you know we don't want Alonzo Jackson level, but at least Alonzo Jackson played. I mean, <laughs> we have he, no he, idea what goals I mean, would have been. And you know it's it's unfortunate, and it makes you think of Gabe Rivera. 
yeah, uh, yeah you know it's just um, you know and, and Kenneth McNair said it right uh that Golson equals Mr. Glass I mean that's I mean that that's yeah. what he was unfortunately yeah. it's it's hard to evaluate him in any other term it, it just is I know this as a, a um, an operator of a few different Steelers blogs over the years I've written the name Sanquez Golson probably a thousand times there is one photo of Senquez Golson that exists. And I still have it burned into my memory because you'd write about him. You'd talk about the latest injury or if he's going to make the team or not. That was pretty much all he wrote about after the draft about the poor guy. Uh, you could only use that one picture because that's all there ever was. It was the only day, it was the only day he was healthy in camp when there were photographers there. So you've got him warming up like he's he's doing pad drills or something like that. That's it. That's all you've got for him. That that's I, I see that picture in my mind. Uh, whatever I see his name. And yeah, I, you know, I, I'll say this. I'm not going to call an NFL player soft. I, I won't do that. Um, it, it's, it's a physical game. It's not for everybody. Sometimes things just happen, you know, keep in mind too. He was a pretty high level two sport athlete. Uh, he played baseball and football in college for a certain amount of time. And he played for four years when, when he got drafted. So you're talking mileage is up there for a guy. And I'm not going to say he's small. That's why he got hurt. I I don't know. Uh, I know that he was a great athlete. He was athlete enough. The Boston Red Sox drafted him in the ninth round. Uh, he played two years of baseball at Ole Miss. That's not a bad baseball school by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it, it's he might have his body just might have worn out. You know that happens. Honestly, you ask any high level NFL player, one thing they're going to tell you very quickly in their uh, assessment of any great player, he stayed healthy, and that in many cases, is about luck. There's a there's yeah, a learning yeah. the game part of it, but there's a luck element that comes with it as well. Um, staying away from injuries, knowing how to get away from the pile that's coming at you, things like that. Uh, I don't know what happened with Golson. You know, I, just, I can't speak just, to that. Let's just end the discussion with Golson by saying this. It is very rare. Not, well, maybe it's not too rare. He has There's nothing on his stat sheet. Yeah, he has zeros. Like on everything, game started, game played. I mean, nothing. He has no stats. For a second-round pick, put it this way, what I, I'm probably looking at the same thing you are. In pro football reference, they list off a bunch of things, and it's almost entirely right. offensive statistics uh, of what they have in each column for these players, with the exception of, of all pro, pro bowl, starting, career AV, games. Then it, it's offensive statistics. Even Steven Tewitt, Stefan Tewitt has stats on this, and Golson doesn't. He has one interception and 34 sacks. Golson has zero across the board. I think he's the only guy that has that. He's also a one-year guy, too. Usually they have a, uh, a year put in when their career – or when these stats are up to. In other words, like when he stopped playing. He doesn't even have a two-year put in here because he literally never played. It's, it's remarkable. You don't see many guys like that. So, Neil, quickly jump through 2015, and then we'll do 2014, and then we'll do what you think is the best overall. Sammy um, Coates being the, the third-round pick in, in 2015, wasn't there a stretch of time where Coates had like a 40-yard-plus a, a completion, like five yeah, straight games? Yeah, it was, pre it was pretty quick. It, you, it look was at, pretty quick. you look at his stats overall, that's like the only time he did any. He finished 29 catches, 528 yards, and, and two touchdowns. The thing with Coates – and I, I covered the, the Steelers at that point. I got to know Stammy fairly well through that. He was a different kind of guy. I'm not sure. Um, he, he was kind of moody, I would say, 
a nice guy. He was a, a polite Southern gentleman type, but he was kind of a loner. Um, he, he wasn't really kind of yucking it up with his teammates or anything like that. Uh, there was a point he got hurt his rookie year. I remember like he, he mangled three of his fingers or something. Um, yeah, I remember that. I think he had kind of a struggle uh, adapting to everything. And then he just, he didn't have very good body language. Um, I remember Mike said that a couple times in press conferences and not specifically aimed at him, but learning how to be conditioned in today's NFL, uh, jogging back to the huddle as a means of, of improving your conditioning. He, he took little shots at Coates, I think. Um, I'm not sure if it, 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 I hate saying body language. I hate saying attitude, but uh, there were guys that, that sold themselves better than Sammy Coates did. I'll say that. Uh, I think Coates was a talented kid. He had some handwork that, that he needed to, to get done, which is usually a, a question of footwork. Um, Houston gave him a shot as well, I believe, after that. He might have had another shot somewhere, but I don't. he never struck you as a guy that was you know, kind of sitting on a boatload of potential and, and was upset that he wasn't getting a chance. He was just kind of there. Um, Deron Grant, uh, kind of an odd one. He was, if you might recall, Lance, he was the earliest draft pick cut that year um my twitter profile the the background image is a random shot of me on the sidelines with deron grant competing with marcus wheaton for a throw down the sideline um a great shot from the ap photographer who came up and gave it to me because he said he couldn't use it mostly because my white ass was was screwing up the contrast for the rest of the photo (laughs) so (laughs) it's 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 Permanently my background. I'll, I'll never have anything that great again. But Grant was was more of um, – he was a kid that I think they felt was going to develop a little bit quicker than he did, and they wanted him to be able to play special teams. But there wasn't anything that he ever did when he was at Ohio State, so we had to learn while he was there. And he didn't really think they had much of a chance, but they told him they wanted him back on the practice squad. He bounced around a bit too, as you might recall. Um didn't work out for him, but Jesse James, uh, certainly the infamous Jeff, Jesse James of Jesse caught it, Jesse caught the ball, whatever meme you want to pick for that. Uh, reasonable player. Um, I think he fits a, a positive average starter definition pretty well. A pretty solid guy for the fifth round. Also a guy that I didn't think was worth a damn when they drafted him. Definitely proved me wrong. LT Walton, Latarius Walton, as he's listed here. LT Walton, uh, I felt, was – a pretty good player for where he was drafted for what the Steelers were developing with him. He might've gotten into just kind of a numbers game, a team that had two high level defensive ends. He came in and he, he filled gaps for them. He did a pretty decent job. I, I thought he was a pretty solid pick uh, for a sixth round. The one that you're going to talk about for value though, is Anthony Chicolo. Now at the end of his career, as far as rushing the quarterback went, uh, you didn't want that, but he was a good special teams player and you need depth. Um, he provided that depth, and, and as far as I know, he's still in the NFL now. So a uh, pretty solid pick for for as late as they got him. Uh, he developed into somebody that they could count on, that they wanted to to stick around, not just for special teams, but for depth at outside linebacker. Um, Gerard Holloman, I don't think, was a player they ever took seriously anyway. Um, he didn't make it through camp, and he didn't sign with anybody. Uh, he wasn't a special teams player either, or uh, excuse me, a, a, a practice squad player either. So I, I think they just – Holloman was just a throwaway pick at the end. You might remember him. He had like 35 interceptions that season. <laughs> he, uh, if you watch him play, he didn't belong out there at all. He was not an NFL player. He's another guy that had no stats. I'm going to give the class a C. It produced one above average 
starter in Bud Dupree. Jesse James was a below average player. Chickalo's a below average guy. They had, what was it, about nine picks that draft. So I, I thought that was a just a C class, and it was largely elevated by Bud Dupree. I think, in my opinion, it was harmed largely by Sinquez Golson. And I don't know if we added this to a criteria, but I think one of the most important things in a draft class is you pretty much got to hit on your first rounder. I think your first yeah. rounder and your second rounder. I think those two players have to become anywhere between – um, they have to be average, above average, or elite. But more than likely, I think you would want them to be above average, at least both of the picks. It's hard to be elite. If that's going to be rare. Um, but I think you want them to become above average starters for you. I don't and, think you could give an A to a class that doesn't have at least an above average uh, first round pick. I don't. It think has to can. be multiple. It, I think I, it, I, and I think, I think yeah, I, I would agree with you. It ha- you have to have an above average. Uh, first round pick. Half. And 20, 2015 shows a good example, though, of what can happen when you have a good first round pick and a complete bust in the second round. Should it detract fully from everything? For me, I think the the, the addition of uh, James later in that draft and what the, the little contributions you got from Chicolo, it doesn't replace Golson by any stretch of the imagination. But Bud it sets it up at a much higher level. I gave it a plus be- really because of Bud. I think Golson doing absolutely nothing and getting something of value from James and some contribution from Chicolo saves it from being a D. Uh, but I gave it a plus because I don't blame you for that. I'm not against that. I, I give it a plus just because I think the real focus is the development of Dupree, uh, what he was at the end. Uh, up until tearing his ACL in, in 2020, I think you were looking at a, a pretty high-level player that they got, uh, in unfortunately, uh, next to the worst second-round pick that Tomlin's probably ever made. I wanted to give it a D minus, but I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to go lower plus. than this. No, a D plus. I wanted to give it a D plus, but I, but I have to be more positive. And, and Kenneth McNair Jr. says Cam Hayward um, has more interceptions than Golson. You have as many, Kenneth interceptions as uh Sinquez Golson's let's and jump we've into- all and we've all played as many games as Sinquez Golson yes so, yes whatever let's stat we in- want to cherry pick to, to rip on his lack of of NFL career we can it's it's easy let's jump into 2014 and I think this is the the most controversial one I gave it a B and if you look at 2014 you had Ryan Shazier and this is the last cl- the last class that we're going to then jump into the two best classes from Tomlin. Uh, Ryan Shazier, Stefan Tua, Dree Archer, your famous Dree Archer, uh, Martavis Bryant, <laughs> Shaq Richardson, Wesley Johnson, Jordan Zumalt, Daniel McCullers, and Rob Branchflower. We can just stop at Martavis Bryant. The rest of those guys, not very good. Daniel McCullers, I have no – it's just amazing he stayed on the roster so long. <laughs> So the rest of that class, so we're only talking about – actually, we're only talking about three players because Dre Archer was terrible as well. So we're talking about three players. The reason I gave it a B is because Ryan Shazier got hurt and did not become the player that we thought he would be. Had he not gotten hurt, he was on the arc to be an elite starter. I think when he got hurt, he was an above-average starter. You couple that with Stephon Tuitt, who's an above-average starter. 
in my opinion. Also a guy that they extended a contract to and they've paid a lot. And you couple that with Martavis Bryant, who I think was an average starter, had the potential to be an above average starter, had his own personal issues, his own demons. So that class got you, I think, two above average starters. So to me, that class is a B particularly when you juxtapose that class against 2017 who had TJ Watt, Smith Schuster, Cam Sutton, and James Conner. So I don't think, in my opinion, you can't give that class an A. I think that class is solidly in the B range, either B or B plus. You gave it an A minus. Why did you give it an A minus? I gave it an A. And the reason I gave it an A is mostly because um, they took Shazier at 14 overall. Uh, 14, 15 overall. Shazier would have been an all pro player. Shazier improved tremendously year to year, had some injury concerns early. He worked through all of that. They coached him up. They developed him. They got the player they thought they were getting. They got the, the high potential, high athlete, and they made him into a football player. I don't think we've seen a better development of a first round pick with the exception, maybe Heath Miller, back in the day that the Steelers have had. They made him into the player that that he was. Even not and even Shazier. talking about where he was going. And where Shazier he was. changed it. And he changed the mold. Yeah. Yes. In terms of exactly. how That's they exactly looked at right. and he changed the mold into the high, super high athletic guy. He changed the complete mold for what the Steelers are looking for. So go ahead. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I said the Steelers are are going to be serious about Shazier at 15. And I got absolutely shredded for it. You, Mostly no, you, because no. too small, don't need a linebacker. I'm like, there are very no, few no, people on earth that you, can do what you, this kid you can do. You picked him on our yeah, show. It, you said he was going to be the first round draft. Pick. He was you, the you guy. Said. He was the guy I felt fit the best for them. And I'll, I'll be honest, who I really wanted was Odell Beckham. I just didn't think he was going to fall to 15. Uh, between the two, I would have wanted Beckham, but Shazier to me was like, this is where football is. This guy can flat out fly. He has great football instinct. He's just kind of crazy. You know, you need to kind of corral him. They can coach him. They can make him into a great player. They did that. They were going to. Now, granted, unfortunately, they didn't coach him out of everything. There were technique issues that I think we we all see what happened there. But right. uh, unfortunately for him, a, a phenomenal career was cut down way earlier than than uh, what, what should have happened. Stefan Tuitt in my opinion, was born to be a Steelers five-technique defensive end. John Mitchell could not have built a better player for his system than Stephon Tuitt. Perfect pick for them. Perfect. For value in the second round, absolutely perfect pick. You couldn't do any better than that. And he would be elite if he did not get injured as much as he did early in his career. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, also, too, he's not playing an an elite-style position. Right, exactly. Cam, Cam makes his noise inside. Cam doesn't do that on the outside. Cam is a great interior player. Cam's great anywhere you put him. Stefan Tuitt isn't Cam Hayward, but Cam Hayward, in my opinion, was an all-decade player. So it's he's in great company um, if he's not that level of a guy. But that's your second-round pick. You know, like it wasn't that long ago they drafted you know Sanquez Golson. There's that name again. But I, I, the main thing I want to point out is, and this is kind of the fanboy perspective of it, uh, Martavis Bryant dominated when he was on the field. And I I noted this, you can probably see it in here, but let's look at a second round pick that the Steelers drafted in 45 games with Pittsburgh in, in the height of their, their passing 
uh, offense, and some of it without Antonio Brown. 45 games, 90 catches, 1,344 yards, and nine touchdowns. Yes, much That's James Washington. That's James Washington, yeah. Martavis Bryant, a fourth-round pick who didn't even play until the second half or the midway point of his rookie season. 30 games, 126 catches, 1,917 yards, and 17 touchdowns. That was Martavis Bryant with the demons, like you mentioned, over a very limited sample of games for the time that he was in Pittsburgh. He was flat-out dominant, and he was a fourth-round pick. And that's a fourth-round pick in a draft that gave you Shazier and Tua. You'll, you'll hear me yelling about Dre Archer until the cows come home. I don't give a frog's fat ass about Dre Archer if those are the three guys you took around him. And like you said, Shaquille Richardson, who Wesley Johnson, who started the year for the Jets, by the way, but who Jordan Zumwalt, who Daniel McCullers, Daniel McCullers has played less of any player who, who lasted in the league for seven years. He's played less. He doesn't play at all. He's basically the Gerald Hawkins of the defensive side of the ball. And Rob Blanchflower, who nobody cares about or ever heard of before, was a really nice guy that I talked to in camp often because they didn't let you talk to anybody else. Uh, he, he's a nobody. That's a phenomenal draft. I mean, you, you, Shazier, it and Bryant right there. If you got that two, three years in a row at, at various different positions, you'd win multiple Super Bowls. If Bryant stays straight and narrow, whatever, God bless him, whatever his issue is. Uh, if Shazier stays healthy, God bless him as well. And Tuit would have been the, the easily the third of the three of them. And Tuit so, is a fringe Pro Bowl player. That's a so, great draft. So that's the same as 2017? I mean, I think 2017, I think TJ puts 2017 above it. I, because TJ I would argue that. I would argue that. I could see that. Um, so if you, if you told me A minus B plus, yeah, I, A – not if you give 2017 an A. Okay, I, I can hear that. I can listen to that. If we are going to weight it versus other classes, which I'll be honest with you, I started off doing, but it, it's doing that over this sample, 2017 would get my A and 20, uh, uh, 2014 would be the A, the A minus, if we're going to call it that, only because I can't say that 2014 would be on the same level as 2017 because there isn't a watt in there. But in my opinion, it's because Shazier got hurt and because Bryant. Right. Bryant, right. Bryant is. Right. It's, and it's just more, it's not just football stuff there. So I, I, I'll raise mine to a B plus. So let's go through our grades for each class. 2018, I gave it a C minus. You gave it a C. 2017, we both gave it an A. 2016, I gave it a D plus. You gave it a D. 2015, I gave it a C. You gave it a C plus. Um, 2014, I gave it a B plus. I switched my grade to a B plus. You gave it an A. Interesting. Tell me, let me give you whom I think is Tomlin's best draft class. I think Tomlin's best draft class is 2017. Excuse me, not 2017, 2007. When you Seven. got Timmons, Woodley, mm -hmm. And you Maddie got Willie Gay and you got Maddie Spaeth. I think that's his best class. But when you sandwich that class yeah. Yeah. against 2010, and this is where when you stack classes within yep. a short amount of exactly time right. and you still have a franchise quarterback who's fairly young on the roster, that's when you can take exponential leaps as a football team. Because if you look at 2010, you got Pouncey, you got Emmanuel Sanders, and you got Antonio Brown. 
So in a five-year period, or maybe a four-year period, you get Pouncey, you get Sanders, you get Antonio Brown, you get Rashard Mendenhall, you get Lawrence Timmons and Lamar Woodley and Matt Spath and Willie Gay. You put all that Huge together players. with you put that all together with Ben Roethlisberger still healthy. What did they get? A Super Bowl in 08 and a Super Bowl appearance in 2010. Of those, what so what do you think was Tomlin's best class? I think best class talent wise was 17, followed fairly closely by 14. I think okay. greatest value that they had. Uh, I would agree with you on on uh, 2007. There, there there are a lot of perfect players who were in there. And this is a class where they traded up for a punter. Keep that in mind. Um, yes, yes, one they that, did. That didn't have a very remarkable career but at the tail end of things when Matt Spath left and eventually came back you got maybe one of the three best blocking tight ends in the NFL and that was to go alongside Heath Miller that's a great one-two punch that you have for for 12 personnel packages guess what the Steelers don't have today they don't have Heath Miller they don't have Matt Spath they've got Ebron and and Fryermuth not not even close to the same level not even close and that that's it's things like that that you see in reviewing the draft classes, how they built themselves. Timmons, by the time they're in the Super Bowl, is a, a thousand snap a year player. He's solid in pretty much every area. Woodley, Woodley would have been defensive player of the year in 2011 if he didn't pop his hamstring chasing after Tom Brady. If you recall that, that would have yeah. been, his, I think, his fourth sack of the game. And that was the third quarter. Woodley was flat unstoppable that day. And that was like his, his league leading ninth sack of the year at that point. Career went downhill after that, unfortunately. Spath was a very solid professional player, more of a blocker than a receiver, but that's why they drafted him where they did. Uh, Willie Gay, the value that you got out of Willie Gay twice, keep that in mind. They didn't want him the first time. He went to Arizona, was terrible in Arizona. Pittsburgh brought him back immediately, and he he was a catalyst to the AFC Championship team in 2010 who didn't have a great secondary. That was a problem that they needed to fix. He came in and helped them fix that. And they also got their starting center, not for the Super Bowl, but for the most part of that year. Um, Emmanuel Sanders was, he was the hot rookie, not Antonio Brown, but then you got Antonio Brown, kind of a big player for the next decade for the team. Um, it, it, stacking drafts like that to me is is always much more indicative of the, the quality uh, and consistency of, of a franchise. Um, right. You remember Thaddeus Gibson, the fourth round pick. I remember he was kind of the the, the questionable one. You're you're going to draft guys like that. Every team is going to draft guys like that. When you are, you know, obviously able to get Antonio Brown in the sixth round, that's fantastic. What I'm talking about is the middle rounds. You know, the the real value of championship level teams. And we go back prior to Mike Tomlin. Um, you, you can see where that value is coming from. Santonio Holmes in the first, but Willie Colon in the fourth. Keith Miller in the first, but Brian McFadden, Trey Essex in in uh, the second and third. Chris Kimoyatu in the in the sixth. Ben in in the first with Max Starks in the third. They they stack these key starting players, so you had the above average to elite guy, but then you had average starters who played quality roles on championship teams. When they get that going, when they're able to do that consistently, we're going to start to see them win a little bit more um, than, than what they did, even though I, I feel they won a pretty good amount over the last decade. Uh, they're rebuilding things now, but they need to start stacking draft classes. And this yep, is why absolutely. it's important for Chase Claypool, Alex Highsmith, uh, two guys taken um, 
for the first time under Kevin Colbert without a first round pick around him. Looks like two very solid picks. And then you have Dotson in that Kevin Dotson taken in the fourth round. That's quality. Devin Bush in the first with Deontay Johnson um, in, in the second or excuse me, in the third, that could work out to something. You kind of like where that's going. And you put that in comparison though, to 2018 looks flat average. You kind of hit a, little bit of a lull you're not stacking very well on top of that yeah. especially when you've got highest of high level talents in 2017 with a really good receiver and a cornerback that you want so badly you just gave him an extension and somebody else signed the running back they're, they're close they're close all the time they get all this they just never put all of it together at once it just always has felt like they're they're one or two players away in one or two big games and stacking classes is even more important before we get out of here when you don't have your quarterback, you really have to stack classes because when you get him, you know, hopefully then it, it could take you to the next level because we see what happens. If you don't stack classes, you absolutely have to have the franchise quarterback that makes up for holes in your roster by being so good and efficient on offense that the amount of points that you score can cover up a bunch of holes on your roster. It's they've done a really good job. I think they've done a really good job over the years in, in, in finding quality players. Cause when you look at 27, you know, 2007, I mean, Timmons started nine years, Woodley seven years, uh, Willie Gay, seven years. I mean, when you have classes like that and you look at 2010 Pouncey, nine years, Emmanuel Sanders, um, you know, Antonio Brown, those are, are great classes. But before we get out of here, Neil, um, is there anything that you guys are running on the wire platform that Steeler fans would uh, take a look for? I honestly have no idea post-draft. It's sort of a, uh, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. say a quiet time, but you're putting me on the spot with it. I'm not even going to try to, to BS anything. Check it out and see. I don't know. Um, Kurt Pope, <laughs> Joy, Allison, Kaler do a great job for us. Um, I, I'm surprised every day to see what they come up with. And it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great content. It's interesting. Um, just not a whole lot that you can really plan except uh, rookie mini camp. And well, eventually the team mini camp, that's not going to happen. So um, there, there are issues on that front that, uh, that will probably have an impact, but you know what, we're, we're going to play in front of people in September. Um, we're going to have people in, in uh, attendance at training camp this year. Uh, thank God for that. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think the country is moving in the right direction on that. Um, you know, hopefully um, in the fall, uh, things will look a little bit like normal, um, whatever that will look like. But we're going to go ahead and get out of here. And thank you, everybody who jumped into the live chat again. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in Steeler Nation. We ran a little bit long, but hey, it's Mother's Day. We want to give you guys some bonus content. I'll just frame it like that. <laughs> um, I will get I will get to the topics a little bit faster. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend and subscribe. Go Steelers.